Calling all benders and non-benders alike. Jump into the epic world of Avatar with your favorite podcast, Avatar, Braving the Elements. Hosted by me, Janet Varney. And me, Dante Bosco. Each week we'll recap and discuss a new episode. So come join us and our amazing guests from creators to cast to superfans to chat about all things Avatarverse. It's Fire Nation time. Book of Fire. Let's go. Listen to Avatar Braving the Elements wherever you get your podcasts. This is a podcast from Minute Media. Welcome to Why the Cast Man, a podcast. Why the Cast Man, Man, a podcast about my last man on FX on Hulu. I'm Alex. I'm Justin. And we are going to be talking about Season 1, Episode 6, Weird Al is Dead, the saddest of all possible realities. We knew it was coming. We knew it was coming. Well, it's going to happen eventually, but it happened a little sooner on this week's episode than I guess we expected. Speaking of which, if you haven't watched the episode on FX, on Hulu, go do that. Go watch it because we're going to spoil it. But a broad overview, we actually have all of our storylines running this episode. Concurrently, Hero and Sam are at their new Costco style place dealing with who we now officially know as the Amazons. This is a pretty major group from the comic books. We get a riff on them here, but they're feeling their way around the leader of the group who is named Roxanne, as well as Nora and her daughter are doing the same thing. And we find out a lot more about this group over the course of the episode. Meanwhile, Allison Mann, 355, Eddie Yorick are traveling on the road. Turns out 355 is being hunted by the U.S. government, never a good position to be in, but they hide out in a church and 355 fights back after Yorick and Allison decide to make a run for it. Everybody learns the error of their ways here. And last but not least, over in Washington, lots of stuff going on here as Regina makes big moves to take over the U.S. government from Jennifer Brown. Kimber is kind of helping her, but not in the most effective way possible. And by the end of the episode, Regina and Jennifer are definitely on opposite side of things. They have decided to stop being nice and politic about everything that's going on. So yeah. lots of big and moves Start in this being episode. real. This yeah. is the real world. Why the last man? <laughs> I, continuing my turn on the show, I really like this episode. Yes. I'm on board this now, This was I a think. good episode. We got him. Mm-hmm. Um, this is why the cast man. Uh, why the cast maybe man. I said that exact same thing last time. <laughs> the... Um, I think it's because we get the core teams here. Dr. Man, 355, and Yorick. Uh, great triumvirate, having some fun, asking the big questions. Does he masturbate? Will we get an answer? Not yet. No. Hopefully next episode. The next episode is, yep, he masturbates. That's the title of the episode. Mm. Episode 7. Uh, I Yeah, I really like this trio as well. I think they're working really nicely. Uh, you brought up this point a couple of times about how 355 is way less trustworthy than she is in the comics. And I think that plays out really nicely here with Allison and Yorick, who have bonded because they're not a super spy. You know, they're yeah. not anything like 355. They're also not anything really like each other, but at least they're closer in terms of having senses of humor, being relatively normal human beings, albeit with some special things about them. And that brings them into conflict with 355 in this episode, which is a really interesting thing to watch. Yeah, and that section where it it was sort of, it was tense and the stakes were high, but it was also sort of funny them being, Dr. Man being like, we got to get away from her. She is trouble. And York's like, I'm with her. She's, we're together. And then she says sort of one little bit of a shitty thing to Yorick, and he's like, 
fucker, I'm out. Let's you and me, the most unprepared people in all of the apocalypse, <laughs> let's us go wander to San Francisco. Where are they? They're somewhere in like Pennsylvania. They don't know. They were definitely heading in the wrong direction. Yeah, the they there. were like two steps out of the compound and they were like, we fucked up, help, oh no. <laughs> <laughs> and that was funny. That felt real for Dr. Mann to be all confidence in one moment and immediately as soon as they're out in the dark, cold woods, be like, man, it was nice having a super soldier with us. Yeah. <laughs> Remember? Well, let me ask you a question about, this is jumping to the end of the episode, but since we're talking about it anyway, at the end there, when they are discovered by 355 and she's like, you guys, what are you doing? Is is this going to lead towards a, oh boy, now we trust 355, or are they even more scared of 355 at this point, given what she does in the woods? Uh, well, she doesn't kill them, mm -hmm. um, which is something that clearly Yorick wants, so much so that he lies to her about being seen um, by the, the soldier. And uh, that's bad for everyone. Absolutely. Except, of course, oh my god, that is a massive mistake on everybody's part. Yeah. Um, so big bad news that um, Yorick lied, and three five five, who is making a gesture to answer your earlier question to Yorick to be like, all right, I won't kill them. I've just been jamming a bunch of juice or whatever into their necks. Um, much harder than killing from a distance, uh, by the way. Yeah. Uh, also, I'd mentioned. I don't know if you've ever been neck juice. Doesn't feel good. I mean, I yeah. guess it depends on the type of juice, to be honest. Like, I've been apple juiced. I've been pineapple juiced. Pineapple juice stings a little bit. Apple juice goes though. down smooth of the blood, I always say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Sometimes I'm th so thirsty, I want just a direct uh, mm -hmm. shot in the vein of just some nice, warm, relaxing milk right in the old uh, blood. Skip the throat, I always say. Skip the throat. You do say that a lot. Um, <laughs> skip the throat. Eat with your feet is what you always say. Uh, the um, <laughs> what are you talking about here? Nothing, nothing. Uh, what I was going to say though is, three five five is still lying to them at a, a shocking pace, mm -hmm. and she's sort of gaslighting them. She's playing to what their expectations are of her and what they want. She's reflecting back what Yorick wants to him constantly. Doctor Man, I think she doesn't quite have a read on, and Doctor Man is sort of a little bit uh, savvier than Yorick, and is sort of able to be like. Yeah, let's talk about this stuff, but also have her own thoughts that she doesn't immediately say out loud. Um, so I think it's harder for 355 to manipulate her. But now we're in a spot where they owe 355. When in the past it was like, hey, we're all in this together and stop killing people. You're out of control. Now she saves them and is like, I'm still going to I'm going to look past how you bet absolutely betrayed me. <laughs> 20 seconds ago and i'm going to still protect you and guide you to san francisco so i think that changes the dynamic a little bit in a way that gives her more power the other thing that i think is really interesting about what's going on here is it really dives down into the core of these characters or at least how we've seen them so far for example dr Elsa Mann was by herself and was fine and didn't need to go anywhere until somebody was like go to san francisco and she was like fine i'll go to san francisco okay so her immediate reaction here as soon as things get tough is you know what screw it i'm gonna be on my own again i'm gonna leave york if you want to come that's great otherwise i'm out of here and york's whole thing since the beginning of the series is a doing whatever anybody tells him to do to going back to his original scene with hero where he's like what should i do in my proposal cheese right can you just give me money for cheese that sounds like a good thing just tell me yeah. that's okay tell me i'm doing the right thing and he's constantly been looking for people to follow he doesn't like being on his own so of course he immediately follows allison as long as she gives him a directive versus three from five who's like 
I got my own thing. I don't need you. Leave me alone. So he's going with the person who needs him more than anything else. And like a lot of people, I think he's crippled by indecision. You know, in the normal, the pre uh, male extinction world, he was like, I don't know what to do. I just know I vaguely want to be comforted with Beth, my girlfriend, who is clearly on her way out the door. And now he knows what he doesn't like. He doesn't like 355 to be doing bad things, but he likes the effect of them. So he he's just a character who is stuck in inaction, a little bit like a lot of the characters in this show, Hero, uh, who, which we see a little bit of in this episode. Um, Nora is stuck in a different way, but she's also sort of stuck. Like everyone, it feels mm-hmm. like maybe the sort of dynamic of this show is like, Everyone's stuck. Oh, a bunch of things change, and now they're unstuck. Oh, now they're stuck again. Like it, it feels like we're going back and forth. It occurs to me, given that what you're saying about Yorick being plagued by an action, there's kind of a famous fictional character I'm not sure if you're familiar with who's plagued by an action named Hamlet. Uh, he, he was written by a guy named William Shakespeare, who was like the original rapper. Is how I oh, you know, I oh the original rapper. Did you say? Mm-hmm. Oh, nice. I think I knew him in, in college. I think I went to college with... Uh, oh, okay. Wow, How old to... is he? How When was he... Um... Like 30, 40 years old, I have to imagine. You got to imagine. You got to You got to imagine. <laughs> you imagine that. But do we, are we sure that like Shakespeare's involved here with... Um, alas, a name like Poor York. I don't know exactly if there's a connection there. Hmm. I did know him well back in college, I mean. Yeah, but... <laughs> of course. We're all talking about the same thing. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, well, the other character that we should talk about in the triumvirate, though, is 355, because there's a lot of stuff going on with her that we don't know exactly what's happening yet. And I tend to think a lot of what she's doing is not her playing Yorick necessarily. She is legitimately not sleeping. She's sleepwalking. Yeah. We get to see her in the church almost fall off. She's crying when it's happening. So there's something that she's suppressing, would be my guess, and we don't know what that is yet. Yeah, um, that part I agree is definitely that's real, and she, you know, it's real because she's trying to cover it up and not talk about it. She's willing to talk about lies, but she won't talk about this actual issue. Um, and I like that for her because now that Yorick knows about it, he's going to be relentless in mm-hmm. dogging her until she finally opens up and is like, "Here's what yeah, I'm struggling with." If it becomes an actual danger to her and her mission, I think that's the only way she'll be upfront about it. And as much as it's fun to sleep dance, it gets tiring. Well, you brought this up last episode. Do you think it's straight up a Black Widow type thing where she was trained, they suppressed her emotions, they put her through multiple traumas, you got the dancing and singing just like Black Widow with the ballet stuff going on, and ultimately she is going to have these memories unrepressed and become more of a fuller human being? I do think that's what it is. Um, It definitely feels like... She is almost unemotional, and she has no problem doing anything as long as it furthers her mission. It feels like she feels very programmed as Mm a sort of character, as an agent. So I do think that is sort of the programming. The hole in the programming is her sleepwalking, and I think Yorick is going to sort of needle that out of her. Yeah. Uh, We should probably come back to this in a second when we talk about the political storyline. Actually, why don't we jump over that to now because they do weave together by the end. I also really liked a lot of the moves that were going on here. I think this really is heating up. Regina brings an interesting dynamic here. It's also interesting to tie into the discussion that we were talking about the last episode, the difference between how liberals and conservatives uh, confront a situation and Jennifer is still 
trying to be politic and trying to sort of soft pedal it. And that's 100% not what Regina is doing at all. No, she's going hard. And you, from their first conversation with Kimber, where they're at the wall of all the pictures of the men, she's like, uh, I was never married. This, this seems like a whole thing. But um, let's get back to the important thing, which is being mad at the president. It's like, you're standing in front of they're at a memorial. And I feel like they only met there because they would have privacy and quiet as opposed to an actual uh, moment of reverence that was meant to be happening for her because she was in a coma for however long. Yeah. Um, also, I could be wrong about this, but I believe very subtly Jennifer is wearing a blue dress in the last scene and Regina is wearing a red dress. I'm not sure what that means, but it feels hmm. significant in some way. I just know those are two different colors that are almost, I guess, opposites. Mm. Um, I like that you said subtly because Regina's in like the situation room next to a bunch of like the general in full fatigues yeah. camo, and she's wearing like <laughs> the reddest dress uh, in the world. She was wearing, I believe, a MAGA hat as well. Yeah. <laughs> right. Um, uh, let's. Do, can we talk about Kimber a little bit? Because yeah. I think her character continues to grow more interesting every episode. She started as this Megan McCain sketch and it really feels like it's grown into something more, something still very desperate and sad, but very interesting to see. Well, a couple of things, right? When she's in that Regina scene, we were just talking about, she says, what if Jennifer Brown's not invincible? Uh, alluding to the fact that she knows about either Yorick or hero or so that this mission is something that is a, is a personal mission that she's covering up yeah and i think that's why regina's there in that that later scene which is so tense which we'll talk about in a minute so she's good at keeping secrets and manipulating her situation a b the thing where she meets up with um the assistant who's pregnant whose name is christine i think probably uh, that's one and, character I just have not caught the name of yet. I keep hoping that yeah. they're going to say it out loud, and I, I keep missing it. Um, yeah, Christine. Um, Christine. She, she uh, she's watching Kimber and Regina shaking hands. Regina, uh, Kimber rot, uh, notices that she's watching, and she's like, hey, um, I've been meaning to, to talk to you. Uh, so don't disregard that handshake you just saw. And um, can I have your baby? <laughs> I was like, whoa, she's making yeah. big Too moves fast. all at once. Too fast. Yeah. You almost had her. Kimber, what are you doing? Yeah. Uh, but that's why, like you're saying, I think she is more likable because you see the cracks in her veneer. You see her, like, armored up veneer, like, making political moves, and then you see the cracks form immediately when she confronts um, this side of her personality in her life. And it's, it's sad and endearing. I really like this character. Yeah, it's... A little bit, not a little bit, it's a lot of bit about, again, what they're drawing on the show, this line between the conservative forces and the liberal forces. The conservative forces want to consolidate power in the way it was before, whether it's Kimber wanting to go back to her life where she had a bunch of kids running around her all the time and she, everybody listened to her and she was happy and pleased doing that, or it's Regina who just wants to be this mouthpiece and be the one in power and be the one in charge and making all the shots, no matter what they are, that's what she wants there versus Jennifer and her side. I mean, there's a certain sense of they're just treading water and they're just waiting for the other shoe to drop at all points. But at the very least, they're trying to look forward to not the far future, but a week in the future, you know, maybe a month in the future if they can get there, but they're trying to push things forward. And unfortunately there's all these things that keep stopping them. 
Well, it, feel, it feels like we don't see a lot of this, but they're like dealing with all the problems of the country while Regina and Kimber are just like, hey, let's fuck this up somehow so we can get uh, power back. And it just makes for a tough, tough spot for for Jen Brown. Um, and like, let's maybe talk about that scene where, you know, she gets called into the situation room and there's Regina who really didn't have any business being there but is pressing for this um, these soldiers that the uh, the general there has dispatched to track down 355. They catch up with her, and they're about to raid, and and Jen Brown has to make the call that is maybe going to result in the death of her son. And I thought this scene was just super tense, really well done, and the way that she makes the right choices, she's not going to confess that it's her kid there. Um, she still says, go through with the mission, and that was a that's a gutsy call gutsy situation right there yeah well it also points to the fact that she is the person who should be president because she is making the right call here there's certainly a little bit of selfishness in terms of of course she wants to protect her kid but she also knows that yorick is the most important person on the planet right now in terms of potentially figuring out what caused the plague and reversing it so she needs to do that in some way but at the same time she also knows she needs to hold on to power from Regina because that could be a terrible thing that could happen in the same way that her son is dying. You know, the, those are not necessarily equally bad things that could happen, but of these two bad choices, she chooses the one that's for the greater good rather than her good, which makes her a good president. Uh, that's nice. I'd it also only fortunately works out. Like <laughs> yes. if it, it could have gone a much, she's like, yeah, um, I think this is a good call. Go ahead and get after three five five, and the soldiers just kill them. Yeah. <laughs> then that would have been uh, the wrong call, but she had no control over the outcome of that situation. Right. Well, also it's interesting that none of this blows back on Regina immediately. Granted, it's a small circle in there, but there's a way it could have gone where it'd be like, ah, Regina, you really screwed up this mission here by launching this. This is your fault putting it on you. But that's not what happens. Again, not to lump too much if there are any conservative listeners in our audience, but it does feel like a very conservative thing to be like, well, that got messed up. That's your fault. You know, this is why it's your fault. This is why I'm going to take charge and continue to barrel forward and keep charge. Well, but this mission will eventually prove to be a success for Regina, I think, because she, this soldier that sees Yorick is going to come back and reveal that she, she will yes. remember Yorick and uh, be able to identify him. And that's going to come back to President Brown in a huge, huge Oh, way. absolutely. I think that's ultimately the thing that's going to lead to, by the end of season one, Regina taking power here running the United States, having everybody, I think you mentioned this a couple of episodes back, uh, chasing after Yorick and 355 and Allison and making everything much, much worse for everybody. Well, and I feel like they've set this up in a smart way because like we talked about with the comic, it was just a man. Um, and now because we're actually folding in the reality that there are a lot of uh, people who aren't genetically men who um, are men in the real world, they folded that into the show and it makes it much harder for Yorick to be different. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think they, they solve for that by um, revealing Yorick's actual face. And I think the printing press scene from last episode, mm. like what, it felt like something where I was like, I don't know why we're seeing this. I think that's going to become the means that um, Regina and everyone is like getting Yorick's face out there. And that makes sense why they would establish there's a very active printing <laughs> zine underbelly here in the uh, the manless apocalypse um, that will then allow uh, Yorick to be chased. 
That also reminds me, before we get to the final storyline here, I did want to mention the thing towards the beginning, which I thought was really beautifully filmed and done when they come on the tribute to great men that is happening where they're singing Radiohead, right? Yeah, Uh, Karma Police, they use that whole buffalo in this episode for sure. Yes, but I thought that was very pretty and sweet and sad. Um, I liked on the whole trans thing, again, somebody being like, hey, don't worry about it, you're good here, buddy. Uh, and yep. letting Yorick wander around. There's even a nice moment between Yorick and 355 here before everything starts to go down and she realizes people are chasing after her. Um, but just the, it was nice to see this and it was a thing that I have not necessarily seen in a post-apocalypse show before. So it felt fresh and new, which is something that I've really been wanting out of the show. As opposed to the other storyline, which mind you, I like quite a bit, but that was straight up a Walking Dead storyline. Uh, death. It felt, it looked like a Walking Dead sequence down to, oh no, an alarm went off. Let's all get our guns and go to the roof and then be awful to the people who want refuge. I was like, this is, and like, no discredit. I think maybe we're um, uh, scarred by too many Walking Dead seasons where they do this over and over again. So it feels a little uh, retro to that. But in this world, it makes sense to establish this um, if you haven't been watching uh, traumatized uh, by many, many seasons. <laughs> yeah. It, and again, I thought this was good. I thought there was a lot of interesting explorations here. I really like the stuff going on with Hero and Sam in particular. Uh, Roxanne, it's Roxanne, right? Who's, I think it's Missy Pyle is playing that character. Uh, is really she don't good. She do not have to put on the red light. What? She do not have to put on the red light. Yes. Uh, is a good, I don't know necessarily villain, but certainly like complication for everything that's going on. Also really like what was happening with Nora in this sequence as well, that she's instantly prostrating herself to Roxanne in the way that she is used to from being with the president. She gets called on it and then prostrates herself, I would say, in an entirely different way. Well, and it's interesting this the Nora character is sort of the most the hardest to read what's happening in the whole show, and I like that about her uh, because we see her in the first few episodes of the season just have shit time, like she has the worst time of anybody, and then we get the moment uh, two episodes back where she goes to Hero like, hey, keep your mouth shut. I know that you're the president's daughter, and don't tell these people shit's going down. So that was her big sort of confession that she is like aware and she's not been like horribly damaged by what's happening. And then we're sort of going sort of going back in the other direction here in this episode where she is prostrating herself, but is she able to play along? Or is what uh, Roxanne's saying to her actually resonating? Like, hey, you need to get on board because this is the world. And I, I do think that scene, the Walking Dead scene that we talked about, does resonate there because I think she can see herself in the woman and the daughter who are out front who are like, she doesn't want to be out there mm-hmm. begging a bunch of people with guns to take her in. Well, then the question, and a lot of what this actress is doing, who's playing Nora, is very internal. We don't hear her, you know, come out and be like, hey, daughter, this is why we are doing the things we're doing. The question is, is she doing it because she's kind of impressed and interested by this and wants to be part of the Amazons and wants that power? Or is she doing it because it's yet another thing that she's scared about, you know? And I I don't think we know the answer. Maybe not, but I think the latter. I think the scene where they're all... um, watching the the dirt bath and then the undirt bath uh mm-hmm. situation feels like she's watching and she's like she puts some dirt on uh, the woman who will become athena and she's i think she's doing that for show because i can't imagine watching that and being like 
awesome. Yes. <laughs> this is a cool, you know, normal thing you're doing right I now. I love this. I'm not, I wasn't a part of deciding this, but just walking in here uh, stone cold, I'm ready for dirt, friend dirt, and then a quick scrub down. Uh, that's my kind of ceremony. Well, and on the other end, and granted, this is a little bit of knowledge from the comic books here, but it does feel like Hero actually is into it and is understanding what's going on here, particularly when she confesses to murder at the end to Roxanne and Roxanne just accepts her for it. I think what we're going to see here is Nora eventually be like, let's get out of yes. here. Let's do something else. And Hero be like, no, uh, I'm all in. I'm your new Athena. Yeah, I think she will hero. I mean, it's hard to imagine hero taking on another name that's more like mythological. <laughs> <laughs> I can't imagine heroes like I'm Sarah now. It's like, ah, yeah. you went the wrong direction. Um, I'm capital H hero. But I do think even beyond hero liking her feeling comfortable there and able to, to tell her truth. I do think Roxanne's going to be like, yo, this girl killed the dude right before everybody died, got away with it. She's my kind of person. I need more of her in this mm -hmm. group, as opposed to poor Kelsey, who really takes some heat here in this episode. This is that's the girl who goes after Sam, right? Yeah, the blonde girl who gets is, the uh, shit kicked out of her at the end of the episode by Athena. I was like, Jesus, gee, these people go hard. Well, that ties into what Roxanne is saying and what she's really pushing here is that everything men is bad, and that contrasts with the tribute to great men that we see that we talked about earlier that there are some people in this world that are like wow we love men we miss men going over to kimber who talks about that as well and then continuing that theme we go over to roxanne who drives down sits everybody around and has them talk about the first time they were traumatized by a man um, yeah. or a man gave them a side compliment to the point that she talks to nora's daughter about it in this way that nora doesn't feel comfortable with but the daughter definitely does and i do think that potentially gets to something about nora where she is not ready to accept all the abuse that she has taken over the course of her life by men and maybe that is actually something she's gonna have to face at some point right yeah exactly um and i agree nora is very internal i mean a lot of the characters vacillate between internal and external so i do think it's hard to tell sort of what everyone's point of view especially on this topic is and it does make me the most worried for sam in this mm -hmm. situation because anyone who talks to sam gets beat up that doesn't feel like sam's going to have a lot of luck here in this community yeah and i think we may enter a situation where sam says i gotta go i'm not safe here we have to leave hero and hero is going to say no this is this is where i'm supposed to be and we're going to see a real split between them at that point it'll be interesting to see if that does happen whether we continue to follow hero as well as sam or if sam goes off on his own maybe shows up some point later on in the series and we stick with hero because that really is where the focus at least in the book is i don't know yeah. if that's going to be the focus of the show as well do you think um, Weird Al is a, has a larger role here? Um, do you well, think he is that, dead. He so is you think dead, like I a just, skeleton, like a dancing skeleton sitch? That's that's exactly what I'm getting to. Mm -hmm. um, just like I'm saying a, a parody song start to really be sort of the main, uh, like a karma police, uh, like a caramel police, where mm -hmm. it's like coming for your Snickers bars or something. There's, I, there's a lot of ideas here. Like a really s uh, slow, sad version of Yoda? Yeah, 
That's <laughs> that was that's what I want. Dare to be stupid. That's what I should have gotten with a slow, sad version of Dare to be stupid plays in the background at some point. No, I was saying that more a lot like Weird Al is the enemy that I think Roxanne's after. Oh, that, probably um, we the one can... that traumatized her with all the parodies. The big exact. I mean, you listen to those songs more than once, you're in trouble. Yeah. Just What's the it. first time you heard a accordion montage, a polka montage, and when did it first hurt you? Uh, can I, a quick question, when they yes. said Weird Al is dead, did you also picture a skeleton with Weird Al's hair? Because that's what I pictured immediately. Oh, yeah, that hair is going to survive uh, mm-hmm. the apocalypse for sure. You know, a nuclear blast couldn't harm those precious little curls. Tell you what, oh, my sure. first also. concert that I ever went to see in real life was a Weird Al concert. Oh, Alex, you did it wrong. You need to see a regular concert, and then you see Weird Al. It's like the parody of that concert. Yeah, well, he was doing all of those songs, and I was like, "What are these? What yeah. are those references to? I don't get it." Just eat it, okay? All right, I guess I will. This is at a dinner theater, so thanks. Yeah, you have to see Al before you can see Weird Al. When you think about, it. you're not ready, and then eventually you get up to Weirder Al, and that's pretty messed up. Yeah. Before we wrap up here... That that belies the existence of a weirdest, Al. Oh, man. We'll find out on next week's episode. Before we wrap up here, though, who's the man, Justin? Who's the man in this week's episode? uh, Lots going on in this episode on many fronts. Um, I think... um, I really... I got to give it up for Nora in this episode. I I really like the Nora character, like I was saying earlier, and um, I am curious uh, how we're going to get inside her head as we continue to move forward i'm gonna get it up for hero this episode i just thought what was going on with her was really interesting we didn't really talk about the scene in the tubs at all with all the women talking to her and really trying to control her out of her shell and join them but as far as storylines go as we talked about i'm really interested to see what happens with her going forward and this feels like not the beginning of the journey but certainly the beginning of this part of the journey um so excited to see how it all pans out over the course of the rest of the season we also have to find out if anyone's going to get home alone um, which is another term that we hear a lot in this uh, Mm -hmm. episode probably do you think the wet bandists survived that would be kind of interesting right well, I'm sure there'll be, um, obviously, the Wet Bandits, uh, both men in um, Home Alone mythology. But maybe someone, um, a team of women, have taken up the um, sort of the, the gauntlet, the wet, the moist gauntlet of the Wet Bandits mm-hmm. and is going to come through and uh, do their best to rob houses and then flood them. <laughs> yep, that was the Which plan. Which was, let's remember, that was their plan initially before <laughs> a bunch of micro-machines got in the way. <laughs> oh, man, that... That Kevin McAllister. I hope he survived at least. Wait, is he also a man? Man, I really just gotta, <laughs> you gotta figure this that. whole gender thing out. We'll do that by next week's episode. If you'd like to support this podcast, patreon.com slash comic book club. Also, we do a live show every Tuesday night at 7 p.m. to Crowdcast on YouTube. Come hang out. We'd love to chat with you about Why the Last Man. iTunes, Android, Spotify, Stitcher, or the app of your choice to subscribe, listen, and follow the show at Comic Book Live on Twitter, comicbookclublive.com for this podcast and many more. Until next time, why the cast, man? Why the cast, man? Caramel Police.